Welcome, welcome, welcome to the fifth edition of Podigus, a podcast where we speak to the leaders of just about every kind of organization you can imagine in order to explore the impact of technology both today and in the future. I'm your host, Delcy Bean, the CEO of employee-owned Paragus Strategic IT, located in Hadley, Massachusetts, and serving the Pioneer Valley and beyond. With me today, I have Will Conklin. Will was raised and educated in Southern Berkshire County before heading off to Halifax, Nova Scotia for four years, where he enrolled in the History of Science and Technology Department at the University of King's College. He then returned home to Sheffield in 2005, completing his BA in history at the University of Massachusetts. From 2006 to 2009, Will led five summer programs from Landmark Volunteers, working with 12 to 13 youth on community service projects. These products included working at a no-kill animal shelter, archiving historic artifacts on Swan Island in Maine, and working on progressive cattle ranch in Colorado, as well as forestry service work in Sawtooth Mountains of Idaho. Will, his wife Amelia, and their daughter Vera run Skyview Farm and are fourth-generation stewards of that property. The farm produces pasture-raised meat, dairy, and native lumber products. Alongside farming and woods work, Will is the executive director of Greenagers, a local environmental youth organization. Greenagers' mission work. Greenagers' mission is youth working to strengthen the environment and our community. Greenagers, collaborating with other community organizations, has pioneered a vibrant youth employment program in the greater Berkshire region, as well as furthering youth volunteering, service learning, and climate change education in the region. Greenagers is the owner and steward of the 100-acre historic homestead April Hill Conservation and Education Center in South Egremont, Massachusetts. Welcome, Will, and thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So to get things started, I'm hoping you can give our listeners just a little bit of context. When it comes to technology, how technology savvy would you describe yourself to be? Uh, I would describe myself to be moderately technology savvy. Um, I know my way around a spreadsheet and, uh, and an iPhone, and uh, uh, I'd say that about, uh, you know, that gives a good sense. <laughs> and is your education or experience technology mostly self-taught? Is it formal? Kind of where did you get your skills? Um, you know, I guess, um, a little bit in college, uh, but doing a, a liberal arts degree, there wasn't too much focus on, on getting into the nitty gritty. Uh, and so I would say it's mostly self-taught. Um, you know, as you mentioned, I, a lot of my college work was in the history of science and technology. So when you say technology, I, I, I start thinking not just in terms of computers, but also in terms of tools and machines and uh, things of that nature. So uh, I guess uh, with a broader perspective, I have a little more experience and familiarity with technology. And that's great. And I'm glad you brought up that point, because when we talk about technology, I do want to think about the broader sense of technology, tools, automation, beyond just the, the gadgets and the apps and the iPhones. Yeah. So Greenagers has been around since 2007, and it's been its own organization since 2013. Now, I know the primary purpose of this program is to teach youth the benefits of working with their hands in service of others, but I'm curious, how has technology played a role in this program over the past five or 10 years? Sure, yeah, it's, um, well, I guess I'll work backwards from present, present times. Um, like everybody else, we had to make some drastic shifts during COVID uh, towards uh, digital platforms, virtual learning, 
um, engaging uh, both our youth constituents, but also our community constituents through technology in, in the form of, uh, of virtual programming and online programming. Um, and, you know, in, in the field, a lot of the initial work we do is, is through very basic hand tools and um, things of that nature. But there's, there's great ways that technology inter interface with our work. Uh, we do some advanced rigging um, with stonework and woods work. Um, we've even had, uh, you know, we do things like mechanical advantages with pulleys. Um, and um, we also, in getting more to the computer side of things, um, we like to document our work. And a lot of that is through the lens of uh, uh, our phones um, or our, the students' phones. We typically discourage the use of cell phones um, at work. Uh, except when it comes to helping document the experience. And, and that is a useful tool in that sense um, to, uh, to share with the world what, what the kids are doing because they, they do amazing work out in the field. And so you're somebody who has the benefit of being the executive director of Green Nature's and then also running a farm with your family. As you think about kind of from both of those perspectives and you look towards the future, what do you think the impact of technology is going to be going forward? Um, you know, you'd like to hope that, that it can make uh, the, the ultimate goal is always to hopefully make life easier and not, and, <laughs> and less complicated. I, um, uh, I, I think, um, you know, help applications, computer applications that help um, farmers uh, find their markets uh, that help farmers streamline their uh, production uh, cycles. Um, you know, every every farmer worth their salt that I know is, has become deeply familiar with spreadsheets as a as an incredibly useful tool. Um, but, uh, but also some of the uh, the online shopping and and um, money exchange platforms um, have become extremely helpful uh, to you know pretty much anyone selling their wares, but farmers are take, certainly taking advantage of that as well from a, on a sales perspective. Um, and then information sharing in terms of um, um, best practices. Um, obviously that's uh, made easier uh, with uh, internet connections and, um, and the availability of resources on um, university websites and, and things of that nature, uh, I would say. Um, and then, you know, we, if we're going to figure out how to combat the effects of, of climate change, technology is going to have to play a, a major role in that, whether that's uh, through innovative uses of, of water and water conservation, whether that's through energy um, capture uh, and, uh, and energy production, all of that is going to be heavily reliant on technology. And have you started to see some of those technologies emerge, some of the, the things that could have an impact? Sure. I mean, you know, we're looking at a project right now at Greenagers um, with our high tunnel greenhouse where we want to use a highly efficient wood gasification furnace to power um, hydronic heating, um, so hot water heating through the greenhouse, but not just to heat, not to heat the air, which is relatively inefficient, uh, but to heat the soil, whether that's at the the soil that the plants are coming out of or the soil and planting benches to keep the uh, root zones of, of seedlings hot. Uh, so that's just that's one uh, one example um, where the technological advances in um, maintaining 
maintaining the heat of hot water and then also the advances of utilizing the, the fuel, uh, in, in this case wood, um, to a much higher efficiency. You know, the, the wood gasification furnaces are achieving high 80, low 90% um, efficiency in terms of fuel usage, which is uh, a hell of a lot cleaner than what they used to be. And usually when we think about technology, we often think about it coming from Silicon Valley. I'm yeah. curious, where does this farm tech come from? Where does agrotech, where is it developed? Where is it launched? Where did that furnace come from? Well, I think, um, I mean, the idea of wood gasification has been around a while. I think um, the, uh, the Scandinavian Nordic countries in, in Europe uh, have pioneered a lot of that type of technology for sure. Um, uh, I, I can't say who thought of it first, but it, you definitely see um, more, more models of furnaces and, um, and more um, adjunct pieces of technology to that kind of concept coming from Northern Europe, for sure. And I, I don't know much about this world, so I'm genuinely just curious. I know that in the high-tech world, when, you, when things come out of Silicon Valley, people care a lot about who invented it, what the patent is, who's getting licensing for it. Is that true in the agrotech farm tech, or is it more collaborative? Is it more kind of people working together? Um, I mean, I'm sure there are some proprietary pieces of that particular technology, but I would say in general, because uh, farming and uh, and farmers have had to be uh, have had to have ingenuity um, on a very on a hyper local uh, um, status that um, and a lot of it is really a you know comes out of DIY um, mentality and ethic that um, there probably is less proprietary um, uh, pieces of it uh, and, until you get uh, to the industrial level when, when once you get into industrial level production uh, whether that be dairy or anything else then you're right back into um, uh, some uh, uh, copyright patent, all that kind of thing of, uh, uh, well, I say issues because one of the, one of the biggest things coming up right now is, is legislation around, um, uh, farmers, uh, wanting to be able to get the access codes to some of the computer chips and new tractors, um, the oh. right, to, right to repair, uh, laws yeah. are, are, are very much talked about right now. And, um, and, it, it, you know, it's the same with, um, I heard a, a thing on the radio about computers where um, a fellow was saying that, you know, the microchip in a MacBook is cost five bucks to, to produce. And if you need it replaced, Apple's going to charge you 1500 to do it. And so there's a lot of room in between the two for somebody to make a living. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. And so as we kind of take a step further and we think about where could disruption come from, is there a technology that you've either had your eye on or that you heard about that could be disruptive, either to the Greenager side, to your own farm, both? Uh, disruptive in a good way or a bad way? Either. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'd love to hear both sides of that coin. Sure. I mean, I'd say in, in, the thing, in, in a bad way, the things that come to mind are, are, are technologies that, um, that try to limit access to, to ideas that should be widespread and, and the, the, the biggest and best example of that to my mind would be the Monsanto seed patenting um, idea. Um, you know, uh, the, the, the capability and right to um, save seed and, and breed 
uh, area specific hybrids and that kind of thing should should definitely to my mind not be a patentable uh, endeavor. Um, and on the good side, you know, um, I think I can't think of a specific example necessarily, um, but just uh, as as people need to respond to um, to climate change in particular, you know, you do see um, you do see certain technologies coming around that are that are kind of applicable to the medium size farm. Um, and that, that would apply to our farm or the farm we're doing at Green Acres where, um, where you have technology like a BCS rototiller that um, is um, something that's, that a small scale farmer can afford, uh, but that really uh, allows um, increased production um, and things of that nature that are, that are really um, aimed at that middle of the road size business because we have seen the breakdown of uh, long and, and broad uh, supply chains. Um, and so I think we're gonna see a lot more development of, uh, of tools and technology that, that don't rely on such a complex supply chain. And are there, are there technologies that exist at the enterprise scale that just aren't cost effective at your scale that you would hope may someday become cost effective, whether that be monitors or sensors or even robots, are there things that would make that small scale farmer more appealing? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I, the, my mind goes, goes to uh, robotic milkers um, uh, where, um, you know, the smallest farm that I've seen with a robotic milker is about, they milk about, I think 80 or 90 cows. Um, and I don't think you want, you don't, you know, they're, I think they went, you know, that's the half a million dollar investment or more. Um, so, I, you know, getting any smaller than that probably wouldn't, wouldn't make sense. And, but if the technology became such that a smaller farm could do that, then um, it probably would be appealing to some. I think you run it, you, as you get smaller, you run into the overlap of, um, of what consumers want and what is, um, what's achievable by a robot or what, what farmers want to do. But if it was available, I'm sure someone, some folks would certainly take advantage of it. Um, and I think the same, same might go for, um, mechanization or, or roboticization in, in other, uh, enterprises. And what about data? Is there data that as a small farmer, if you don't have, that if you did have would fundamentally change the way you farmed, sold, marketed? Hmm. Data. Um, I mean, I think some of the, for, I think of, for example, a tool that um, the Cornell um, extension has on their site about, um, uh, it's a calculator that, helps you figure out exactly how much it costs to produce meat. Um, and that's a great tool that's data-driven. You know, you, you, you put in your inputs uh, and what they cost, and it's gonna um, help you really figure out, okay, what are your actual costs? Because it is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of fuzzy costs in farming. Um, and uh, the, the better you can drill into those and, and get to a degree of exactitude um, is, is really helpful. Um, so that, that kind of thing certainly helps. Um, 
this is not this is not necessarily data driven, but it's getting back to a, um, a benefit of globalization. For example, um, I was just um, breeding cows the other day, and our breeder came, and he happened to have some uh, semen for one of the cows from New Zealand Jersey genetics that have um, a longer history of grazing on grass, and therefore are able to 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 thrive better on a grass-based diet than some of the more commercial Jersey uh, Jersey cow genes here in the United States. And so the uh, technological advances of uh, semen collection, uh, as well as um, cold storage distribution are all playing, uh, you know, are all a factor into that, as well as just the, you know, data crunching of, of analyzing these herds and, and figuring out which cows are doing better. And, um, you know, all that uh, is, is playing into it. Uh, getting back to robotic milkers, any any herd that that is um, on a robotic milker is is going to the cows have collars with chips in them, and that um, that milker reads all the information of that cow, and it's collecting data every single milking from that cow. It's collecting its its temperature, it's analyzing the milk coming out of that cow. So um, you know, on that medium to large scale. Um, there's just an incredible amount of data being stored and delivered to the, to the farmer each and every day. And when I talk to the, the farmers that are, that are utilizing that technology, it's, it's extremely helpful in, in helping them, um, be on the right side of that incredibly thin profit margin. And then what about the marketplace? Can you imagine a, a virtual farmer's market or some other way that a technology could change the way that a farm brings its products to a customer. Oh yeah, uh, we've we've seen that in our area. Um, actually, uh, a little north of here, a uh, another youth-oriented farming entity, Roots Rising, um, just did a did a pivot for COVID and collaborated with some other organizations um, during COVID and created a virtual farmers market where folks could um, order their food and get it delivered from local farmers, and the, the farmers themselves didn't need to. Um, do the heavy lift of creating this platform. Uh, so yeah, that's that's happening. So moving on a little bit, when it comes to tech, what's your biggest fear? What's the thing that kind of keeps you up at night? Um, that it'll that that it will distract us from the soil. That it'll distract us from the land. Um, that um, you know that's the. The, one of the one of the most painful things to see is an individual, whether that's a um, a young person or an older person, out in the out in the field, you know, glued to their phone. <laughs> when there's a whole a whole world of things happening around them that uh, that are infinitely more complex and uh, and beautiful. I like that answer a lot. <laughs> Has Greenagers ever experienced a major cyber event or a kind of IT security event? Nope, thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> we'll try to keep it that way. And I, and honestly, I, I think we'd be the last to notice. No, I uh, <laughs> I think the closest it, it comes is you know we got some uh, uh, some notice from our payroll company saying you know that they along with a bunch of other payroll companies had a a pretty mild data breach or or potential data breach and that they were working on it. But um, no, we're somewhat insulated from that, which is nice. So you 
started talking about this earlier, but when we talk about technology, we often think of it as it makes the world better, it improves things. Are there instances that you've seen technology have a detrimental effect? Oh, sure. Um, I mean, the the technological advances and uh, I mean, we'll stick with farming. Um, you look at the um, tractors and implements that are that are used in major industrial farming uh, that that makes it possible to uh, to farm the thousands and thousands of acres in the Midwest and, you know, slightly less um, acreage in the in the northeast where we are but there's still some big, really big farms out there and um, it just lets you go faster it sort of lets you progress in a production aspect faster than our uh, brains and our our ethical ethical parts of our being the are, are can go and and um, and you know we try to play catch up but the the damage um, often takes so long to, to repair that, um, that we get ahead of ourselves. And it's, uh, that's, that's the destruction that we're facing with, with some of our climate change. If we're, you know, if we don't get into better soil conservation practices, we'll, you know, we're going to see another dust bowl or, or something similar. So, um, that, that in a general sense, I would say is what I see. Yeah. I think that's very valid. So, as the executive director of a very successful and important organization, and also as a farmer yourself, what do you do to keep up with everything that's happening in the technology space? Mm, well, since the organization I run is um, serves youth and there's young people around all the time, I rely on them to tell me what's coming down the road. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just try to keep up. Um, yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I I, there's there's certain, definitely certain pieces of te technological advance that I get that I, I get excited about. You know, there's there's some fascinating apps that uh, that come out to help you do this or that. And um, so it's uh, I, I think it's important to not uh, take a, a total luddite approach to things and um, and and but just keep keep the lenses on that that help discern uh, uh, between what's useful. Uh, and uh, what is is going to benefit not just you, but um, the people around you, the community around you. You know, keeping that perspective, um, not just on the individual, but um, I'd say particularly the community. Um, and because if you get if you start looking bigger than that, then if it, if you if you think it's something a piece of technology is going to be able to benefit many many thousands in terms of a on a production level, then it's probably too big. Um, that that wouldn't apply necessarily to things that that may um, help achieve, uh, say, diversity and equity across a culture, or uh, that may help achieve um, um, big changes in in how we how we're treating the ecosystem. But um, in terms of uh, agricultural practices, that that's where I would draw the line. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So before I let you go, we're going to switch over to our segment that we call Fast Questions from Flat Delcy. Thanks, Delcy, and good afternoon, Will. In just a moment, I'm going to read you a series of choices. Your job is to, as quickly as possible, just tell me which is your preference. You ready to go? Yep. Tacos or burritos? Burritos. Cats or dogs? Dogs. 
Netflix or cable? Netflix. Candy or popcorn? Popcorn. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Superman or Batman? Batman. Drums or bass? Bass. Phone call or text? Text. Vermont or New Hampshire? Vermont. Well, thank you so much for being our guest today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation, and I know that our audience will as well. Likewise. Thanks, Delcia. I appreciate you having me on.